Numbers chapter number 10 tonight. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Numbers chapter number 10, verse number 1. The Word of God says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but with one trumpet, then the princes, which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. When you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east parts shall go forward. When ye blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, ye shall blow, but ye shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if ye go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Also, in the day of your gladness, and in your solemn days, and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings, and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God, I am the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. I pray now that you give clarity to my thoughts, Lord, that you get, uh, give open ears to those that are hearing. Lord, I pray that your spirit might have liberty to work in our hearts, minds, and lives. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Now, some of you may be sitting there wondering what Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, could possibly have to do with your life. I'm aware that this is a statute for the children of Israel under the Old Testament law for their culture and for their society. But how many of you know that the Bible teaches us that these things are shadows of good things to come? That all these things were written for our admonition upon whom the worlds of the end should come, or the ends of the world should come. You see, all of the Old Testament uh, truths and statutes and the Old Testament law portrayed uh, New Testament truths and ideals. Uh, they looked forward. You'll find when you study the Old Testament law uh, that basically the Old Testament law would lump itself into three categories. There was moral law. That dealt with what would make the children of Israel a righteous people in the midst of Gentile nations. There was social law. That would dictate how they would interact one with another. I'll give you an example. If I, if I had an ox and you had an ox and my ox killed your ox, then I'd owe you an ox. Amen? Isn't that pretty simple? No lawyers or anything involved. Somebody say amen to that. And uh, so there was social law, and then there was ceremonial law. The ceremonial law were uh, statutes uh, that were set forth dealing with worship, uh, dealing with uh, the tabernacle. And all of these ceremonial laws, they bore shadows of good things to come. They pointed to the personal Lord Jesus Christ and His ministry and His body, which is the local church. And this passage is no different. The Bible tells us that after the law was given, that part of this law was that the children of Israel were to make two silver trumpets. And these trumpets, I mean, mind you, this is a group of people that, as we said this morning, was probably over two million souls. And when they had to move, they didn't have, they didn't have cell phones, amen? They couldn't send a group text. And anybody in here, if somebody sends them a group text, they feel like they've been took hostage. Anybody? You can't get out of it, man, once it starts. 
and you text back and say, do not text me. And then you have random numbers you don't know saying, who is this? <laughs> Apparently, of all the people that, that get group texted that I'm a part of, I'm the only one that knows how group text works. Amen? Because inevitably, I'll text back and I'll say, this is a group text. Stop texting me. And then somebody else will text and say, who is this? You know? Well, they didn't have, they couldn't send everybody a group text, you know, or a Facebook message. If they want to get the word around fast, if they want to let folks know something, then these trumpets were the means in four different situations of communicating truth to the entire body of the congregation of Israel. You see, when I look at these trumpets, I don't just see silver trumpets. I don't just see something locked into the time frame and culture of the Jewish people at this point in history. But I see in these trumpets a picture of the Word of God. You see, the way that communication came from the tabernacle to the people was through this trumpet. i got news for you tonight. The way that uh, communication comes from the tabernacle in heaven to the body of Christ, the way that God deals with His people and communicates with them is through this precious book. Let me give you a few things that I think might convince you of this truth that I'm sharing. Uh, you see, I, I'm reminded of the Word of God when it comes to the parts of the Word of God. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, there were two trumpets. Now, I understand that probably the imagery as it related to an Old Testament Jew was this, that they reflected both the law and the prophets. You say, what was the law, preacher? That was the first five books of the Bible. You say, what was the prophets, preacher? That was everything that wasn't in the first five books of the Bible. Uh, that included the poetic books. That included the historical books. That included uh, the uh, prophetic books of the Old Testament. But all these things in your, in your Bible, when the Old Testament Scriptures talked about, are oftentimes divided into two categories. They'll call them the law and the prophets. For instance, when the Lord Jesus uh, spoke about the uh, Old Testament law, somebody asked him, said, what's the greatest commandment. And he said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. But I would say that in this day of grace, it also reminds me of the Word of God because I think it's reflective of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a New Testament Christian. Amen. Well, I'm glad I wasn't born under the law. I'm glad I'm not burdened with those cumbersome rituals. I am a New Testament Christian. I am saved by grace. I am born again into the body of Christ and the family of God. I am a New Testament Christian. But if we didn't need the Old Testament, God would have took it away from us. Now, we, we need to be dispensationalist in the way we study our Bible. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Well, that's a recognition that God dealt with uh, humanity in different ways during different time periods. And that helps me to rightly divide the word of truth because I do need to understand that some things are written to the Jews. Some things are written to the Gentile church. I need to understand that there are certain truths uh, that though everything is for me, not everything is to me. And so there's a lens of dispensationalism I need to view the Scripture through. But when we begin to put on those lenses, those glasses, as it were, of dispensationalism, we understand that uh, the Old Testament is just as rich in practical, relevant truth as the New Testament is. All of the Word of God is uh, written for you and I, though it may not all be written to you and I. I know some folks that they want to just throw away the Old Testament. You'll tell them something, you'll say, well, you'll quote a passage of Scripture, and they'll say, oh, well, that's Old Testament. Like, it don't mean nothing. <laughs> Amen? i got news for you. The same God that wrote the New Testament wrote the Old Testament. 
I listen, I'm aware you hear people all the time. You'll talk about, for instance, people dressing appropriately, you know, and you'll say, well, you know, the Bible says in the book of Leviticus that, uh, that uh, a man ought not wear that that pertaineth to a woman, a woman ought not wear that that pertaineth to a man. By the way, let me say this, that compromisers have laughed at that for years, but now we're growing up in a day where uh, little boys and girls don't even know what they are anymore. It ain't so funny now. Somebody say amen to that. But people say, well, preacher, that's Old Testament. Well, that's true, it's Old Testament. But what was the truth God was trying to convey? He was trying to convey this. I created them man and woman. I put a line between the genders. Not society. Not, not the patriarchy. Amen. I put a line between genders. It's a biological line. It's a distinct line. It is a definite line. It is an unyielding line. Amen. And now look what's happened in our society now that we've scoffed at God's Word. And people say, well, you know, preacher, that same chapter, you know, it talks about that you shouldn't mix fabrics. So the preacher gets up in the wool blend suit's a hypocrite. No, there you go, not using dispensationalism to rightly divide the word of truth, Brother Charlie. Let me tell you what, that dealt with the prayer shawl. And with the prayer shawl, the truth was this, that our prayer life, our approach unto God is to be unmingled in its approach. And so, uh, though there was an aspect of it that was ceremonial, it conveyed a greater spiritual truth. Just because truth in the Old Testament is ceremonial, that don't mean it's not spiritual. Amen? Uh, listen, you can study through the tabernacle and see all through the Old Testament tabernacle through the design of it that it was ceremonial, but it was also spiritual and symbolic in its truth as well. People say, well, but preacher, uh, that same uh, chapter in Leviticus talks about how you shouldn't eat shellfish. Amen? If you've been to some of the places I've been, you'd agree with it. Amen? But here's the truth that was trying to be conveyed, was that there was much greater danger in the eating of shellfish at that time, and the children of Israel were to be a clean people, not only in their actions, but in their diet. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with me and you? Well, the Bible says that uh, out of the depths of the heart, uh, the mouth speaketh. And that what we put within us, is, listen, it is what proceeds out of us, not what we put in us that affects things. And what it's saying is this, uh, that uh, it's the, the things within the inner heart of man that can sully and dirty his life. See, all of these Old Testament truths had a spiritual application. People say, oh, well, that's Old Testament. That's right. So listen, the Old Testament is not against the New Testament. And the New Testament is not against the Old Testament. They harmonize one with the other. And if we are trying to pit the Old Testament and New Testament against each other, that just tells us, uh, that just tells somebody that we don't have much confidence in the God of this Bible. Amen? It reminds me, did you have fun with that? I had fun with that. It reminds me because, Brother Charlie, I see the parts of the Word in this. Let me say number two, I see the proclamation of the Word evoked in this. What was the material that it was to be made out of? It was to be made out of silver. Silver is very important as you study through your Bible. Uh, silver is always in the Bible associated with the idea of redemption. Uh, whenever Jesus was, uh, was uh, sold, he was sold for 30 pieces of what? Right? Whenever Joseph was sold, he was sold for 20 pieces of what? Uh, what was the metal that the children of Israel... If you don't know the answer to this, then I, I feel sorry for you because obviously it's going to be silver. Amen? But the, the, the metal, the money that the children of Israel were to pay for their redemption when they came out of Egypt was to be silver money. Can I say this? That these silver trumpets remind me of the truth of the Word of God because the message of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is that of redemption. Redemption. Uh, no sooner did man sin and fall in the garden, but what God took animals, uh, slew them, took those bloody skins, and made coats for mankind that they might be found in God's presence. And what a beautiful picture that is of the Lamb slain for you and I, that we might be robed in His righteousness. 
that we might be accepted in the Beloved. All through the Word of God, you find this theme of redemption. You say, Preacher, what about this book or that book? doesn't matter what book it is. You'll find redemption to be its ultimate theme. It might be the redemption of the individual. It might be the redemption of the church. It might be the redemption of mankind in the collective sense. It might be the redemption of the earth sometimes. Sometimes it's the redemption of the nation of Israel. But you'll always find redemption to be at the heart of it. Uh, even books like the book of Judges. Judges is associated with rebellion, right? But listen, there wouldn't have been, uh, oh, I can't remember how many chapters there are, 21, I believe, chapters of the book of Judges. There wouldn't have been 21 chapters of the book of Judges if rebellion hadn't also been accompanied by redemption. Because every time the children of Israel rebelled against God, what did God do? He sent a judge that He might deliver and redeem those people. All through this Bible, you'll find redemption to be the center note of every melody that's played. Amen. We won't worry about that. That's next week's sermon. Amen. I got this week's sermon right here. You'll find it to be the theme and the melody throughout any of the Scriptures of the Word of God. So I think in the proclamation of the Word, we, we find a, a picture. I think also the purity of the Word is spoken of here. The Bible tells me in verse number 2 that it was to be made of one piece of silver. There wasn't any hinges in it. There wasn't any mixture. There wasn't any alloys in this metal. It was to be pure silver. But Charlie, you know what I began to think about? I remembered what the psalmist said in Psalms 12:6 when he said, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. In other words, silver that was to be used in these trumpets was to be completely spotless silver that had been purged of any dross, of any blemish, of any imperfection. It was to be uh, silver in its purest form. And these trumpets were to be made out of one piece of silver. I think it also speaks... And by the way, I believe the Word of God is pure. And uh, listen, if if I don't believe that God has given me a perfect Bible, then what business do I have preaching out of this Bible? It's okay. We'll be all right tonight. This is maybe a long time due. What good is it to believe that part of this Bible is inspired if we don't believe all of this Bible is inspired? What parts are inspired and what parts aren't? How do you know that Numbers 10 ain't been one of them chapters that has been, quote-unquote, polluted and sullied by man's hand? You see, it's of no use to believe in inspiration if we don't believe in preservation. And there's no sense in believing in preservation if we don't believe in inspiration. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean God perfectly and errantly inspired His Word in the giving of it, and then perfectly and errantly preserved that inspiration of it, and you and I have a Bible that we can hold with confidence in our hands. If we believe just part of this book is inspired, then which parts are inspired and which parts aren't? Who has the authority to dictate and determine it? Well, here's what happens when we take that approach and that position. We just assume that we can't really know. And so anytime we come to a challenging portion of Scripture, we, through different means and resources, change what the meaning of it is to something that we're comfortable with. And at that point, we're the master of the Word, and the Word is not the master of us. You see, I believe we have a pure Bible. I believe I can have confidence in this Bible. People tell me it's riddled with mistakes, but I've never had anybody show me one that couldn't be reconciled by a little bit of study in common sense. I believe we have a perfect Bible. I believe we have a pure Bible. But it also reminds me of the uniformity of the Bible. Uh, The fact that this Bible harmonizes with itself. And you'll find this to be the case in a lot of places, but particularly so in the Gospel accounts. It's interesting because you'll find that all of the gospel accounts amplify one another, but they never contradict one another. 
Can I give you, for instance, and I, I didn't jot these down, but uh, I'll trust the Holy Ghost to bring it to my memory in the correct way. You'll find that when you read in the book of Matthew that there were two men, two blind men, that cried out when blind Bartimaeus cried out. Now, if you read the other accounts of it, it never says there was only one man, but it just mentions one man. They do not contradict, but Matthew tells us a little something that the other gospel writers did not tell us. You'll find this in the book of Mark. I don't know if you've ever studied it carefully, uh, but on the night that the Lord was carried away by, by uh, wicked men with wicked hearts, on that night, the Bible says in the book of Mark that there was a young boy that followed them when they left the garden. And the Bible says he was robed about with just a linen cloth. And that as he was following them carefully behind, that the soldiers noticed him and went to grab him and grab that linen cloth, and he ran away, the Bible says, naked into the night. Now, who do you reckon that was? It had to be John Mark. Peter wouldn't have known that. We assume that John Mark got most of his details concerning the life of Christ from Peter. But Peter wouldn't have known that. And so the book of Mark beautifully amplifies this story. Uh, Now, I mean, uh, you know, think what you will about a little naked boy running through the garden in the middle of the night. But only Mark could have been that little boy. Only he could have been. You see, the Word of God is uniform in its truth. It never contradicts itself. You won't find a single place where this Bible contradicts itself. And you say, but preacher, what about this or what about that? Well, listen, we can sit down and we can answer every single one of them. And I have confidence that we can because I've read through and studied through most of these quote-unquote contradictions. But the thing that I found is this. Every time I thought the Bible contradicted itself, it wasn't the Bible contradicting itself. It was me contradicting myself. The Bible has uniformity within it. I think not only the purity of the Word, but notice what it says. I think the practicality of the Word is spoken of here. Look at verse number 2. Uh, the Bible says, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camp. This Bible is it was given to be used. Amen? It was given to be used. This is not decorative cake to be placed under glass. This is manna from heaven. This is our daily bread that's given to sustain us. The Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. By the way, how could God tell us to do that if we don't know which words we can have confidence in? I'm just being real practical. Amen? I mean, there's probably a lot of people with a lot of letters after their name that would give a lot of good reasons you shouldn't have confidence in this Bible. But I, I'm, I, I'm just a little uh, dumber than them, a little more practical than them. How could God tell us to, uh, to feed off every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord? The Bible says that every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord is good. The Bible tells me, boy, I tell you, I'm just ready to preach for just a few moments on this. My Bible tells me that not one jot nor tittle of the law shall pass away until all things be fulfilled. My Bible tells me that the Word of the Lord is settled forever in heaven. Now, it either means that or it don't mean that. And it either means something to you and me or it don't mean anything to you and me. And at the end of the day, this Bible is either absolute or this Bible is obsolete. One of the two. We can't have it both ways. And so, I believe this Bible is to be used in our daily lives. This thing ought not collect dust on your shelf from Sunday to Sunday, but you ought to take it. You ought to read it. And so I believe it pictures for us these trumpets do the Word of God. And I want to give you four simple thoughts tonight before we close about what the Word of God does and means in our life. And I believe it closely aligns with the truths that were given concerning the trumpets. Now, there were four situations in which these trumpets were to be blown. Four situations, and I'm going to go ahead and give them to you before I even preach them. They were to be blown, number one, for instruction. 
Number two, they were to be blown for direction. Number three, they were to be blown for confrontation. And number four, they were to be blown for jubilation. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean? Let me say, number one, they were to be blown for instruction. Look back at verses three and four. The Bible says, And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but one trumpet, then the princes, which are the heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. So Moses is the man of God, as the Bible calls him. He is the man whom God has appointed to communicate with the nation of Israel. And what he's saying is this, Moses, when I have a message for you and for them, then you send Aaron's sons out there to blow these trumpets so that everybody will gather to the door of the tabernacle so that they can hear my word. Let me say this tonight, that the Bible ought to be the preeminent tool and the preeminent focus in the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm for a lot of things. Amen. I'm probably for more things than I'm against. And that's rare for an independent Baptist preacher. Amen. I know independent Baptist preachers that are against everything. I just don't have time for that and you both. Amen. So I had to choose. But, uh, I, you know, I, I know preachers that are against everything. I, I, let me say to you tonight, there's a lot of things I'm for. I'm for good singing. I'm for good fellowship. I'm for good testimony. I, we believe so much in fellowship around here. We, I mean, we break the bank on a food bill. Amen. By the way, that's, that's scriptural. Amen. The New Testament church, every time they met, somebody had something to eat. I'm for those things. I'm for, you know, children's ministry. We have vacation Bible school around here. I'm for it. I'm for our camp ministry. I'm for all these things. But the number one priority in any local assembly ought to be the preached Word of God. All those other things are to support and, and, and to encourage and to undergird the preaching of the Word of God. But the preeminent thing ought to be the Word of God. The Bible does not say God have chosen the foolishness of fellowship. The Bible does not say God hath chosen the foolishness of eating. Amen. The Bible doesn't say God hath chosen the foolishness of uh, games with young people or God hath chosen the foolishness of singing. The Bible says God hath chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. And so the truth of the Word of God ought to be the preeminent thing. There's a lot of things we should uh, probably be willing to tolerate. If you're going to be a member of a, of a church, at least a church like ours, there's going to be some things you're going to have to put up with sometimes. Right? That's the reality. I got news for you. You want to see this place grow, right? I do too. Well, the more people in this room, the more chances somebody's going to bump into you. All right? If you don't want to deal with, with problems, then you don't want to deal with people. Okay? Because where people are, problems are. And that's the reality of church life. And, and so, I don't even know where I was headed with that, but I guess somebody needed it. Amen? What was we talking about, Brother Jack? We were talking about preaching, wasn't we? There's a lot of things that in the local assembly that you may, may be able to talk. But let me say this. We ought never tolerate a lack of the preaching of the Word of God. That ought to be the preeminent thing. I want you to notice two thoughts about this. The Word, number one, calls us to worship. It calls us to worship. Just as the trumpet blew and called them to worship, the Word of God commands and calls us to the place of worship. The, the assembling of ourselves together is not some sort of, of principle or stricture that has been developed through the mind of man. Uh, listen, you need the local church, and the local church needs you. Uh, God did not give us this commandment just because He thought you had too much time on Sundays and needed something to do. 
the Bible, and people say, well, preacher, you know, things are just so busy today. It ain't like it was 2,000 years ago. Uh, you know, church was a community then. And it's just, I, I mean, now in this day, there just ain't enough time. But you see, that's an unbiblical mindset. You say, why, preacher? Because the Bible says that as time would carry on, that the assembly of the local body would become more and more important. In fact, the Bible says we are not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, uh, but we're to exhort one another, we're to build one another up. And it says this, and so much the more as you see the day approach. What day? The day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, so, preacher, you know, I mean, listen, I, I, I don't know about church because it's just got a bunch of hypocrites in it. And the church, you know, it's so apostate nowadays and so on. I, you know, you hear people say that all the time, right? I, I don't want to go to church. That's where the hypocrites are at. They'll go to the Walmart, you know. At least around here we don't wear pajamas. Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> you go into Walmart after 11 o'clock at night. They ought to sell tickets for that. I'm serious. Ripley's ought to set up a booth at the front of it. Come one, come all. But they'll go down to the Walmart. The reality is this. We need church more today than our grandparents did. We need church today more than our great, 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 great grandparents did. The Word calls us to worship. But let me say number two, the Word is the content of our worship. Uh, true biblical worship will be centered upon the truth and reality of the Word of God. Uh, that will be the meat of what we are worshiping around and about. You see, the trumpet, they didn't have to know anything except that the trumpet was blown. That was enough. They knew if the trumpet is blown, then the Word is going to be given. And God help you and me to say this, that we know that when the doors of Walridge Baptist Church have been unlocked, and when the, the uh, people have gathered, and when the Bibles have been brought, and when the message is stirred, that it's preaching time in the house of God. It's preaching time. The Word of God needs to be the content of our worship. It doesn't need to be the opinions of man. Right? It doesn't need to be the guiding principles of denominationalism or whatever it might be. It doesn't need to be... I'm, I'm for people... Listen, I'm for people being socially involved with God's people. Amen? That's part of the reason we do a lot of youth activities is because we want our young people being around other young people that love the Lord. Amen? And I believe that's important. But at the end of the day, the content of our meeting together ought to be the truth of the Word of God. It ought to always be present there. So it is to be blown for instruction. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Bible says this, When ye blow an alarm, and there's a difference, by the way. When they would blow for the assembly, they would blow one long, solid uh, blow. But when they blew an alarm, it would just be rapid. Just be rapid. And when it says, when ye blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east part shall go forth. When you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for their journeys. Let me say number two, the Word of God needs to be presented and the trumpets need to be blown for direction in our lives. Direction. Uh, there were two things that these trumpets marked. Number one, they marked when they were to go. And by the way, it was not the trumpets... That, this is some deep truth. I want you to listen carefully. It was not the trumpets that dictated when to go. The trumpets blew in response to the moving of the pillar. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with anything? Well, the pillar uh, that guided them was a picture of the Holy Ghost. That ever-present guide that was in their wilderness journeys. And so, the blowing of a trumpet for direction was always accompanied by the moving of the pillar. Let me say that inasmuch as we approach under the Word of God, when the trumpets are blown, when the Word is preached, 
when the pillar is moving, then we know that God is stirring and dealing in our lives. There's a lot of times when it's not a matter of where, it's a matter of when. And the Word of God can reveal to us when we need to move in response. There's been times in my life when God has confirmed something long before I have ever acted on it. And every time I've gone to act on it, the Spirit of God has said, No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But God has a purpose not only in the details, but in the timing of our life. And so the trumpets would be blown to tell them when to go, but also it would be blown to tell them where to go. There was a certain process when they blew one time, then these certain camps would move. When they blew another time, then these certain camps would move. And so through the blowing of these trumpets, they could tell who was to move, when they were to move, and inasmuch as they marked the movement of the pillar, it told them where they were to move. The Word of God should be our guide in life. We should go to the Bible to find out what we should do, how we should do it, and when we should do it. Only through the wisdom of the Word of God. The Bible talks about wisdom that is from above, that is first peaceable. Amen? In other words, the Word of God presents us with the wisdom that we need to navigate this life and this world. If your decision-making doesn't involve the Word of God, then you've missed it. Because the Bible does talk about another type of wisdom, earthly wisdom that is sensual and devilish. That wisdom will get you in trouble. And by the way, they both are wisdom in as much as they both sound good. The devil can make anything sound like a good idea. The devil took a prodigal and said, you know what you need to do? You need to leave this bed that's paid for, this roof over your head, these meals that are paid for. You need to leave this father that loves you and this home structure where you're protected. And you just need to get all the money you can find and just set out walking and see where you wind up. Now, that's a dumb plan. But I've seen Christians set out on dumber journeys. Fact is, it's a fool's errand to try to do anything in life without the wisdom that comes from the Word of God guiding us. So it should be blown for direction. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says this, And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Let me say that uh, the trumpets were to be blown for confrontation. Now, this would be a little more familiar with how we would imagine trumpets being used in a society. Whenever the enemy was approaching, if they needed to notify everybody, they'd get on these silver trumpets and blow an alarm so that everybody knew the enemy was coming. There's two things this did. Number one, it revealed their adversary was approaching. Uh, Let me tell you something. If you want a real good grasp of what spiritual warfare is, open your Bible. And read it. I I know Christians that they don't have a clue why anything happens in their life. And it's because they don't have a real grasp of what spiritual warfare is and how it affects their life. Have you ever noticed that when you make a commitment to start serving God, things get harder? Have you ever noticed that when you decide you're going to start giving more, all of a sudden more bills show up? Have you ever noticed that when you make a decision that you're going to start witnessing, you're going to go to work, you're going to witness to a co-worker, they just happen to be sick the next day that you're supposed to work with them? That ain't by accident, neighbor. That's spiritual warfare. The fact is, only the Word of God reveals this truth to us. 
The Word of God reveals to us that our adversary, the devil, walking, uh, walketh about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And that you and I, we are to suit up in the spiritual armor, uh, the armor of God that Ephesians chapter 6 reveals unto us. It reveals to us who our adversary is. And one of the greatest ways to to navigate life. In fact, the only way to navigate life is to go to the Word of God to understand what the devil... You know, the Bible, Paul said this, I would not have you to be ignorant. We're not to be ignorant of the wiles of the devil. That tells me that God will tell me something about how Satan operates if I'll go to this Bible and begin to learn the truth and reality of it. It uh, reveals our adversary, but let me say number two, it reveals our strategy to us. Notice the last part of verse number 9. It says, And ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. The battle was not to be won through physical means. Now, God not have them march with swords and spears and, and shields. But the winning of the victory did not take place through human strength or ability. The winning of the battle took place through spiritual means. And over and over again, by the way, we can go to the Word of God and we can see the reality of this. I mean, listen, it it wasn't manpower that knocked down Jericho's walls. It wasn't manpower that confounded the Midianites that they would be defeated. It wasn't manpower that slew 180,000 Syrians in the middle of the night as they encamped on the outside of Jerusalem. It was the Lord that did these things. But they still blew the trumpet. They still suited up. But once they did all that they could, they were trusting the Lord to accomplish the victory. You know what that is? That's do what you can and leave the rest to God. The battle is the Lord's. It's not yours. And so the strategy that the Word of God teaches us... Listen, it does not say we're to advance. It merely says we're to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're we're, we're to suit up and then stand and watch the Lord do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let me give you a final thing, and I'm done tonight. Let me say that not only for instruction and direction and confrontation, but verse number 10 shows me that the Word of God, the trumpet, was to be blown for jubilation. The Bible says this in verse number 10, "...also in the day of your gladness..." And in your solemn days, and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. So in other words, on glad days, the trumpets were to be blown. On glad days. You know what that reminds me of? That there is joy that comes from the truth of the Word of God. If we want joy, we need to look to what God has done as revealed through His Word. And I jotted three things down. Let me say, number one, that we find joy in the Word of God over the faithful working of God. Notice it again. Also in the day, your gladness. Now, we're not really familiar with that usage of the term gladness, but there's a sort of a what you might call a figure of speech or an implied meaning here, which is this, on the day when something has happened that has given you great joy. And I believe in the context of the warfare they've just spoken of, it's saying this, days that are days of victory. It says, and in your solemn days, what are those? Those were days, high and holy days, when they'd worship together. And it says, and in the beginnings of your month. Those also were days that were to be celebrated. You know what it reminds me of? Three things that God has done. Number one, the great victory that God has wrought in our lives. The Word of God reveals to me just how saved I am, just how victorious Jesus is, and just how whooped the devil is. And that gives me reason to rejoice. 
and to find encouragement. Also, it reminds me of the great lengths to which Christ went for my salvation when it talks about the solemn days. Uh, Let me tell you something. We ought to rejoice over the privilege to meet together in God's house around God's Word. And then notice this third thing. It says, in the beginnings of your months. Every time that the calendar rolled over, they had something to rejoice about. You know why? Because when the trumpet was blown, they were reminded that it had been God's faithfulness that had saw them from year to year. I think in the faithful working of God. But not only that, I think that they blew the trumpets concerning the finished work of God. Notice the next phrase. It says, "...you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings." In other words, as the blade had been drawn across the sacrificial neck of whatever animal was being sacrificed, as it was flayed before the priest, as the blood rolled down the hillside, as all of the various ceremonies were performed... All the while, these trumpets would be blowing. And why were they blowing? They were blowing because of God's reception of the sacrifice that was at hand. To remind them that God was listening and watching and receiving the sacrifices that had been made. Listen, if I don't have anything else to rejoice over when I read my Bible, and I have plenty, but if I didn't have anything else to rejoice over, I could just go to that little phrase in the book of John, chapter number 19, when my Lord said with three English words, It is finished. I can rejoice over a finished work. But finally, let me say this, we can rejoice over the future wedding. The Bible says that they may be to you for a memorial before God, I am the Lord your God. Hey, if they didn't have nothing else to rejoice over, they could just rejoice in the fact that they were God's and God was theirs. And it reminds me of a New Testament truth. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51-52. You may have wondered what your Bible was talking about when it said this. Can I share with you what Paul said about the rapture and the resurrection that was coming? He said this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Well, look at that. At the last trump. (laughs) For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's the last trump that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That last trump, what was it? That trump of jubilation that was to be blown to speak of God's faithful working in their life over the past year, of the finished work, of the sacrifice that had been made, and of the future wedding that one day would take place when God would call His bride home and they would be in joy and jubilation in His presence. (laughs) Let's close with a word of prayer with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.